It's me, Dr. Z with JB. Today, John and I deconstruct the concept of trauma bonding. We explore what trauma bonding is, how it develops and is maintained, and what you can do to break it. We also managed to waste a good 30 minutes of our lives having technical difficulties, and I learned about the magical power of these little things called earbuds. So tonight, uh, as we've get, gotten through blooper heaven, and uh, doctors, you make sure you save this video, otherwise we probably won't have a podcast tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I have like three deleted videos. Oh, nice. That's fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, okay. But yeah, I can't... Yeah, we are. We're, we're, we're bonding through trauma. Exactly. We, 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 are. we are. In front of everyone tonight. So. Uh, okay. But... All, all the fancy stuff ripped out. Like you, you couldn't imagine the setup today. This is part of uh, all the all the different anxiety that we put ourselves through. Having a producer here, making sure all the cameras are all right. You know, hours of prep all out the window. Got to be ready for it at any given. But this time. is why so, this is why we're good. This is why we're good. We yeah. work well together. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. Well, uh, let's try and actually start this from the top. If you didn't know, I am John Barton. You can follow me on the Twitter or here, uh, at John Barchin. That is Dr. Z. She's a lot smarter than I am, clearly. Um, and uh, we really. like to come here every every Sunday night, typically at 8 o'clock, but a 37-minute technical delay tonight. Uh, as, uh, you know, this is just kind of Sunday, Sunday night conversations where we just kind of, free our minds a little, try and find some more information about our mental health, specifically with anxiety and depression, something that I know we're all kind of going through. And I don't know a ton about it. Uh, my access to mental health has been kind of limited and um, met Dr. Zio almost a year ago. We bonded almost instantly. We've been trying to do this still 10 episodes in. We can't still. even get a smooth episode in here. But um, uh, we appreciate everybody being here live and those listening on the podcast, as always. Thank you for listening, subscribing, doing all that stuff. Um, uh, but like I was saying kind of before, if you had missed any of the, the false starts as uh, we, were, we were beginning here, um, is something called uh, you know, the the traumatic bonding, right? That's a trauma bonding. Excuse me, is what we're what we're kind of discussing tonight. Because I know that the layers of that could be extremely difficult to, you know, not knowing that it's there and you're about to walk into some dangerous situations and things like that. So when when we do say trauma bond, instantly, what should we be thinking there, Doctor Z? So. Generally speaking, and then we'll get into specifically what it is in different situations, but a trauma bond is basically a dysfunctional, unhealthy relationship between the abuser and the person that's being abused. And when I say abuse, that can range from sexual, physical, emotional, it can um, include neglect. So it's, it's a range of abuse abusive types of relationships, um, but it's really about the kind of really dysfunctional, very complex dynamic between the abuser and the person that's being abused. I don't like saying victim, but I want to say person being abused. Um, and typically when we talk about trauma bonds, you know, a lot of people have heard of Stockholm Syndrome where um, in those situations, the person who is being abused starts to develop um, kind of... Um, feelings of connectedness, feelings of um, even love or um, just support for their abuser. And 
it's, it's kind of a, almost like if you think of it as a psychological survival mechanism mm -hmm. to get through something extremely traumatic. It's not that the person is saying specifically, I want to be their friend. I understand that. Let me help them through this. It, it's not really that, but that's, that, that's kind of the coping mechanism that, that people use. Um, but typically when we discuss it, we talk about it in the context of narcissistic relationships. Um, and so I'm going to kind of talk about it more towards that end of things, because I think that that's what most people on here had wanted to talk about. And most of the questions that I got referred to narcissism, um, extremely codependent relationships. So when you look at a trauma bond from that perspective, there's two parts. There's the person that is being abused and the abuser and the person being abused in a trauma bond type situation or relationship typically has um, pretty serious codependency issues. So let me talk a little bit about codependency. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's pretty much what you probably already think if you don't know what it is, but codependency is where you depend on the other person not just for things like finances or for, um, you know, doing things around the house. I mean, you depend on them to determine your sense of self, your self-worth. You depend on them to um, make sense of your reality for you. You, you depend on them basically for the narrative on how to live your, work, how to live your life. Um, so clearly you can see how that can become very dangerous, even with somebody that's, that's relatively healthy. Because if you aren't able to develop your sense of self or your self-worth from, you know, again, I hate my cliches, but from inside yourself, <laughs> um, <laughs> then you become dependent on somebody else for that. And that's never a good thing. Um, so that's trauma bond in, in general. And um, I can, you know, we'll go through specifically what that looks like, what the symptoms are, um, how it manifests, how it develops, and really how you break it. Yeah, and I, I, the, the best, I, I guess, because we were talking about this kind of over the last couple of hours, but the, one of the best, I mean, like on the surface ways that I know of this is if you had a friend, if you had a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, they meet somebody brand new, and then all of a sudden you just kind of start to see them less and less and less and less and less and less. And, less and, less. and you're kind of just like, well, wait, what happened to friend to be here? And then you kind of find out whatever relationship there is. It's like, oh, I don't want you hanging out with those people. I don't want you doing X, Y, and Z. Or yes. that, Is that pretty much on the surface what a trauma bond looks like? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what, it, that's what the beginning looks like. Um, and so I'll kind of go through in the, in the beginning what it kind of begins as, so to speak. So... Um, and some of this is repetitive, but it's always helpful to, to revisit. But when you're in a potential trauma bond situation, it's not something that shows its face in the beginning at all. In fact, that's part of the trauma bonding experience is that you need that initial period of call it love bombing, whatever you want to call it, but you, you know, whining and dining, whatever. But you, it's essential to have that first part in order for trauma bonding to, to exist in a narcissistic relationship because it's that initial stage in the relationship, which, mind you, could last a month, could last a year, um, and it varies. So if you're in it and you're like, well, you know, they've been amazing for a year, and then you see this switch, um, it doesn't matter that it had been a year. That's not really the issue. So it's the beginning stage where this person is doing things like, um, you know, 
you're my soulmate. I, I've been waiting for someone like you my whole life. Where did you come from? Um, you know, why couldn't I have met you sooner? You're everything I've wanted and you're on date number three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, or, you'll do that. No. <laughs> what? So, <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're laying in bed with them and, you know, and they just like confess their undying love for you. And, and, and you know, and, and it, because if you tend to be a codependent person or on that spectrum, you're going to welcome that with open arms. Whereas somebody else may look at that and say, what the fuck? Like, you don't even know my last name. Like, what do you mean you love me? So um, that's why that it, it, it's something that really manifests with somebody who is codependent because that is the type of personality style that's going to look at those things not as red flags, but look at them as, oh my God, where did I find this person? I can't believe somebody loves me like this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and in the beginning, you know, and I get a lot of patients that say, well, like, how was I supposed to know? And, you know, how, how are you supposed to know? And unfortunately, a lot of times the way you know is because you've been through it before. Um, because in, most people are inherently good. So you mm-hmm. really kind of have no reason to think that somebody would doing that. But just generally speaking, the red flags for something like that are things like really early on they're calling you their soulmate they're making plans to name your kids where you're going to get married where you're going to go on your honeymoon um they're telling you that they love you they're they're buying you jewelry and gifts and taking you on vacations and love bombing love bombing and they're you know whisking you away for the weekends you know to you know fancy schmancy new york hotel whatever and everything seems almost like too good to be true and I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just saying kind of have your feelers out, something like that. So There's a, there's um, a thin yeah. line between hopeless romantics and what you're talking about. Yeah. Or are they the same person? I don't know. I kind of <laughs> think they're the same. I, yeah, I don't know. I've been doing this yeah, for a yeah. while. And listen, are there situations where two people meet and it's amazing and they fall in love and everything is lovely and, and great? And it's, yeah, sure. But. I mean, really, you know, like pancakes in front of that, we hope. Yeah, correct. Like, right. Yeah. Like, like, it's just, I, I mean, it, yes, that happens. I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but again, I am a realist. And you know, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time and I can tell you that that's rarely the case. It just, it yeah. just isn't. And it doesn't make sense. You don't know the person. And the whole point of a relationship is to figure out who they are, get to know them and see if you even like them. A lot of times in that love bombing stage, it's all about the person kind of feeling this love, this love, it has nothing to do with getting to know them. That's the difference is that, right, someone said insanely fast. It moves insanely fast in the beginning, insanely fast. You're talking about moving in with each other. It's been two months, three months. You're talking about getting married. You're talking about like, are you going to have kids? Are you not going to have kids? It's, it's very quick. Um, but again, somebody who is codependent, who feels like no one's ever paid attention to them, no one's ever given them this, they're going to they're going to they're going to like just soak that up and just mm-hmm. want more. So, again, so back to the original, the way what is necessary for a trauma bonding relationship to occur is you have to first have that initial phase. And the reason for that is because that is what the person who is being abused will consistently try to get back. 
over the course of the relationship. They constantly, constantly want it back. And so it's like their drug. It's dopamine. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Kim was saying it's like a Cowboys fan and Eagles fan rooting oh. for the same team. It doesn't happen that often. Yeah, so, right. exactly. Yes. Good, good analogy um, from my world. Absolutely. So I wrote down notes on this because I really wanted to make sure that I hit every point on this because so many people had wanted to talk about this. So I really want to make sure that I, that I really get to everything. Um, so there's the first, that love bombing stage, right? And then what happens is there's this, this almost like a, a, a switch is flipped, right? And oftentimes it is that sudden, and the person will kind of like be thrown off. It's very unnerving. You feel like the rug's been pulled out from under, under you. Um, they'll just freak out about something. Or it won't even make sense because it's not about them being mad at you. It genuinely, it genuinely is something that they just did to confuse you to make your footing kind of a little off. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason why they do this is because it's, a, it's about a power differential. And that's very big in a trauma bonding relationship and i'll explain that later but so you have to have the love bombing stage there has to exist the power differential that you won't notice at first but once that argument that initial and everybody who's been in this relationship i guarantee you can identify the the, the exact moments when that happens when they had that when the person acted in a certain way that was so um just so opposite of what they'd seen. It was that sudden. Just as the love bombing was, that was just as sudden. And there's such a discrepancy that it really throws the person off balance. And everybody who's been in that, every patient that I've seen, every, every person that I've spoken to, every friend that I've had that's gone through this, um, they can identify that, that first time where that's happened. That's when the devaluation occurs, meaning um, they start to tear you down. This is when they start to say things to you like, um, are you sure you're going to wear that tonight? Mm. You know, like, are, are, you, are you sure? Are you sure you want to wear that? I don't know. I kind of like the other one on you better. Mm. But say it in such a way that is, you can't really call them out on it because they love me so much. So, of course, they're just trying to make me look better. Right? Right. Um, so, those small types of things start happening. And then... When they find or feel that they've kind of really kind of stripped you down in terms of your self-esteem, um, and this occurs, what we were talking about, this like gradual kind of plucking you away from mm -hmm. your support system. And there is a reason for this because when shit hits the fan, they don't want you having anybody to be able to bounce this off of because they want you to think that this is one, your fault, which is a big part of trauma bonding. And they want you to believe that you can't function without them. Therefore, you're incapable of leaving them. And if you have a support network around you, um, that is the biggest threat to the narcissist is the support network that you have. That's why over time they will slowly start to like we talked about before, you know, you know that Jamie girl, I don't really, I don't know. I don't, there's something about her. I don't really like, I don't like when you hang out with her. I don't really trust her too much. Yeah. Um, you know, or that, you know, that guy, John, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. He's, he's, I don't know. He's a little, seems like he's up to some, seems like yeah, he doesn't know his audio. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't like the, I don't like the way he looks at you. It makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, um, it's <laughs> I don't this like, one, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't, you know, are you sure you're going to wear, wear the shirt with one shoulder? 
yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all you that know, stuff. Yeah. Right, all that stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, when <laughs> so when that starts to happen, the person starts to feel very isolated. So now what you have is this person who was in this love bombing stage, who's now being torn apart with the goal being to completely strip you of your self-esteem, self-worth. And now what? So now what yeah. starts to happen is now when the abuse starts to set in. Neglect, emotional abuse, physical abuse, oftentimes sexual abuse, even within the relationship. Um, and you don't have anywhere to go. And when the person feels that, you, that they are no longer getting what they need from you, whether it's, and usually it's some sort of control over your mood. So if they feel that they are not able to get some sort of fuel from you, or let's say that you're starting to set boundaries with them because your sister is telling you, I don't like what he's doing. I don't like what she's doing. Here's what you need to do. When they start to feel that they're not getting what they used to get, now what happens, and this is where that initial stage becomes so important that I was talking about, now they come back with the love bombing. So what that does then is it make a couple things happen. There's, there's, a, there's a psychological aspect and there is a biological aspect. And not that many people talk about the biological part, so I want to make sure that I hit on that. But psychologically what happens is when they start love bombing you again, um, it, it makes you minimize the abuse. Because now you say, okay, they feel bad, they're wrong, they're apologizing, look, they're going back to how they were. And what separates a traumatic, what separates an abusive relationship from a trauma bonding relationship, because not all abusive relationships are, tra are trauma bonding relationships, but what separates the two is that the person who's being abused, when the devaluation stage hits, they don't tell the person to F off. They don't tell the person I didn't do anything. What they do is they look for reasons why it's happening, why that person's doing what they're doing. And then the next step is, what did I do to cause this? What did I do wrong? And what can I do to make this better? What can I do to make this person happy again? So when the abuser goes back into that love bombing stage, person who's being abused thinks that they, they made that happen because they did something to cause the other person to go back into the love bombing stage. They don't realize that it has nothing to do. They could have stood on their head. They could have like clapped their hands. It makes no difference. It, that's where, the, that's where the, the imbalance of power comes into play is that the person has absolutely no control over this. So that's that intermittent reinforcement. We never know what we're going to get. It's totally out of our control. It's like gambling. So yeah. the biological piece that comes in is that when you are getting that intermittent love bombing, so you go from like abuse to kindness, abuse to love, it's very back and forth. And so you're getting these intermittent spurts of dopamine that we talked about, right? Which is like, a, it's like a drug, right? It's like heroin. It's like cocaine. It's like anything, you know, that's going to, make you feel good, make you feel like you are getting high, you know, gambling, anything like that. So that's one thing that happens. The other thing that starts to happen is we, we also kind of, if you think about fight or flight, 
right? Everybody knows what fight or flight is. When our bodies think that we're in danger, when we perceive a situation to be dangerous, we do we fight or flight. So we either, we either fight, right? Which most people won't do in these situations. Run, which most people don't do because they feel like they can't, which I'm going to get to why people say, well, why the hell can't they just leave? Um, there's a freezing response, which is they just stay, and a fawning response, which is very common in, in trauma situations. So what ends up happening is that when people get these responses, it dictates what they're going to do next. And chances are they're not going anywhere. They're going to stay for a couple of reasons. One, because they're waiting for that next spurt of dopamine. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other is they have been for so long, so familiar with this abusive cycle that leaving is so scary because it's unfamiliar. They've internalized the narrative that their abuser has told them about themselves and it has made them believe that they cannot live without them. They can't think without them. They can't function without them. They are nothing without them. And so the person feels like the safest thing to do is to stay. And that's where that trauma bonding comes in because now you need this abuser to feel safe. And it gets so confusing and so scary because you lose kind of all sense of reality. Um, so that's kind of the, the biggest, I don't know, that's kind of the most superficial definition I can give you of trauma bonding without spending 5 million hours on it. But, um, <laughs> you know, just well, again, that, keep, no. yeah, keep in mind that, that the reason why people don't just leave other than, you know, tr physical safety, their kids, finances, is that they truly are, are more comfortable in, this pattern because it's so familiar to them. And this is why therapy is so important post separation from this because they are so familiar with this pattern that what they'll do is they will defend the person's behavior. They'll minimize the person's behavior, even in new relationships and say, Oh no, it's not the same thing. He's such a better person. Same shit, just dressed yeah. up differently. And, um, they will minimize it. They will hide it. They won't tell you everything. Um, and it's easier for them to be in this because it's all they know. So yeah, and uh, Lynn Marie asking I think a, a good question uh, as well is just like is a narcissist kind of like really this calculating? Yes. On purpose? Yes. Is this or is this something that occurs naturally? To, like you know, no. Doctor, I think you had pointed out like if they're if they're if they have any narcissistic tendencies when you're born, you got to get that out of there before you're like eight, 10 years old. Otherwise it's pretty much just there. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, this it is, is a lot of this is, yeah. A lot of this is your, it's patterns you pick up from, from your upbringing. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, there's research on this hereditary thing, you know, genetic, and, and maybe it's kind of a recipe for a perfect storm, but you really do model the behaviors that you see. And it doesn't have to be, you grew up with a narcissist. It could be, you grew up with somebody who was neglectful or somebody who was condescending. It could be a million different reasons. You grew up with somebody who, um, told you nothing ever you did was good enough. So you seek out someone who's narcissistic because they're going to give you that same feedback too. So it, it, there's a lot of different things, but from a narcissist standpoint, yes, they know what they're doing. No, they don't care. And yeah. that's the hardest thing for people to understand. Now is some of their behavior automatic because they've been doing it for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just like for us, we, you know, we have certain routines. We're so familiar with we're on automatic pilot. 
But if someone slowed us down, we'd know what we were doing. So mm -hmm. yes, they know what they're doing. No, they don't care if they hurt you. Um, it, it has, no, it actually truly has nothing to do with, with you. It, they don't care about you. They care about what they can get from you. Uh, which is, you know, for somebody who's a good person, who's codependent also, that is such mm -hmm. a foreign concept to wrap your head around. Absolutely. And I think another good question here too, cause I, my instinct would be say, I don't think it's possible, but Bia was wondering when there's traumatic bonding, does that, the, a narcissist has to be in place in that relationship or does it not have to be a narcissistic does person to have traumatic bonding? It doesn't Some have to be a narcissistic person. It usually is, but it doesn't have to be. Um, it could be a child with an abusive parent, a physically abusive parent, um, which, you know, oftentimes, again, there is narcissism obviously involved in that, but um, not always. Um, it could mm -hmm. be anyone that's held hostage, right? Any type of cult or cult leader, you see that oftentimes, that trauma bonding is very strong in that. So, um, but then again, cult leaders tend to also be narcissistic. So I, I think you're always <laughs> going to find narcissism somewhere in there, um, but it doesn't have to be full-blown narcissism, no, but, but, but oftentimes it is. It's definitely the codependency piece that, mm -hmm. that's, that's always in play because somebody who's going to seek out love and affection from their abuser is, is somebody that's, that's codependent. Otherwise, they wouldn't need that from somebody who's abusive. They would, you know, say, F you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, is this, um, is this typically, is it narcissistic behavior typically found more, more in males than it is females? <sighs> Super, like, on the surface, yes, because men are, men are, more likely to demonstrate narcissism in in kind of the standard way that we think about narcissism but females some, sometimes are misdiagnosed as borderline having borderline personality disorder they're misdiagnosed as having major depression bipolar disorder. people all always and it's you know this is one of my pet peeves they'll slap you know they'll, they'll someone will slap them a diagnosis of bipolar disorder when it's narcissism mm -hmm. and narcissism and bipolar disorder look totally different people think if you have mood swings you're bipolar you're not that has that's that's like the small they're two totally different <laughs> kim things was, kim was just saying about that her, uh, about her employer that was like saying those same things too so yeah yeah really i mean ridiculous. yeah bipolar <laughs> is a whole different situation mm -hmm. altogether it's like you have a distinct period of mania then you're fine you know then your distinct period of depression you can have cyclical moods yes but the the manipulation and gaslighting and the chronic nature of it no medication helps narcissism no therapy helps narcissism it will never go away whereas with bipolar disorder if you're on proper mood stabilizers if you seek therapy if you know your red flags if your family's involved you can absolutely live a very productive you know stable life so um mm -hmm. it's different and um narcissism is something that you know, so back to females, a lot of times females will be misdiagnosed with other things. Um, also because females tend to enter into therapy more so than males. So you mm -hmm. may see females in more, but not for narcissism. They'll come in because they were having suicidal thoughts or they have substance abuse problems or they have anger issues. And so they'll come in for those reasons. Um, women tend to be extremely competitive 
who it tends to be narcissistic. They tend to, um, you know, be just as competitive about who gets to who's first in line at drop off. Like, you know, like really, like, I'm not even kidding. I mean, this is, this is like the, the way it plays out in the world. So men are yes, diagnosed more secondhand. Um, but I guarantee you there's more women with it than, than we, than we realize for sure. Oh yeah. I, I, I know because I've been through relationships with, with the exact description that you're talking about. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, I think it's, inherently that whole thing of men things women people you know and i think that tends to lead yeah. towards the narcissistic side of of men and it just because our world ends up being a lot of things because and that's you know could be a stupid societal structure or whatever whatever yeah. it is uh, it, but one thing i did i was curious about is there there obviously is no such healthy relationship with a narcissist but is there you know, like the world is what the world is. <laughs> and I, I guess like, are we saying, please don't ever have relationships with narcissists or are we yes, saying have fewer and fewer with them? Never, just never, never have one. Never, yeah. never, never. This honestly, this is the only psychological diagnosis that I will tell you, never get involved with a narcissist, there is literally, there's no good that's going to come out of it. None, ever. Um, and I'm very, I'm very much a mental health advocate, as you know. So for me to say something like that um, is Pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and, and this is, yeah, it, oh, off of that, because I do know. I can't read any of these. So are you, are you able to see? Because no, I don't have my glasses. Well, I, I can't I got see you there. Okay. That is the All one right. technical problem we will not have today. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> the, the um, but I, 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 I'll, I'll jump back into there because off of that, I like, is there a, well, I, I actually forgot my question. So I'll, co I'll come back to that. Oh, I, sorry. I remember because Eat Well blog off of your question. It just reminded me. Uh, this is how do you differentiate now that you've been through these experiences and you, you hear it, you see it, you know what a narcissist sounds like. You almost see it. But again, there's those things which blend for a second which might look like narcissism, but might just be an aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And that might trigger that PTSD from that relationship you just got out of and et cetera, et cetera. So where, how do you make sure that it's okay, this is definitely a narcissist and this is just tendencies of something that I, you know, from the past. So, um, so I, there's, so I'm going to answer it two, two, two ways. The first is, um, why are, why is the person even still gravitating towards people with narcissistic tendencies at all after being in such a difficult relationship? So I'm going to shelve that cause I definitely want to, want to talk about that. And that's where therapy comes into play. Um, but as far as the, the, the noticing the differences, and we've talked about this before, but just to kind of review every single one of us has narcissistic traits, all of us, mm -hmm. right? Like you own your own business. So there has to be a part of you that has Absolutely. narcissistic yeah. tendencies because you need that. And when I say narcissistic mm -hmm. tendencies, I don't mean like this unaware asshole. All right. I just mean mm -hmm. somebody who is, you know, goes after what they want, you know, knows what they, you know, kind of, and maybe narcissistic features isn't even the right word, but you do yeah. what you need to do to get where you need to be mm -hmm. is the narcissistic part. The difference is, though, is the level of awareness that a person has. 
you are very much aware and have feelings about and remorse and empathy where you're not going to step on people who have helped you to get to where you are to be able to get your needs met, right? We're not talking about your child who like needs medicine, but you have no money. So you break into the drugstore to get the medications that you need. Different situation, right? Like you're going to do what you need to do to save your loved one, right? Right. 100%. Right. People may disagree with me on that one, but you, you understand what I'm saying, right? I'm not telling yeah. you to like commit crime, but you understand what I'm Don't saying. Don't you'll, you'll, like, house go if you're not yeah. one of those people. <laughs> right. Like you'll, you'll, you'll like go through hell and back for your child, right? Or yeah. people that you love, right? But this is something where you deliberately don't give a shit that these people have helped you get to where you are and now you're going to step on them. You don't care they have families. You don't care what they're going through. You don't care that they helped you. You don't feel you owe them anything. That's the difference between somebody who has narcissistic features versus narcissism. There's the awareness factor, the degree to which you're aware that your behaviors and the consequences of your behaviors impact others. And then there's the empathy. Now that you know they're affecting others and you have that awareness, do you even care? That's the difference. Yeah, and if you and realize, and if you care, then you reel it back in, you apologize, you make an effort not to repeat it again. Maybe it's a little difficult for you, but you know enough that it's difficult, so you get help to try to figure out what those patterns are. I mean, I've worked with many people who have narcissistic features, but, but the narcissistic features is what makes them able to come into my office and work on them. Somebody with narcissism in no way, shape, or form is ever going to therapy, ever, period, at all, never. And if they do, yeah. usually it's, it's, like I said, it's court-mandated for custody evaluations, um, substance abuse problems, DUIs, mandated drug treatment, um, anger management, mandated anger management, or they're going in with their significant other to couples therapy to a non-trauma-informed very unaware of narcissistic nuances, which is not their fault, but should not be treating that couple because then the, the, the narcissist uses that situation to further manipulate their partner by saying, my partner does this, 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 and this. And if they just worked on this, our marriage would be so much better. Our relationship would mm -hmm. be better. And that person believes it because they already believe it anyway. And now you have a therapist telling you the same thing. So now, of course, it's your fault. So you have to be yeah. very careful with that. Typically, narcissists, they don't, they don't want to change. They don't think anything's wrong. And to change would, like, why? Why would they change? Yeah. Yeah, and, and to Connor, who is, who is like, may, might be a little worried, is like, oh, wait, shit, I might have some narcissistic tendencies you, in here. We all do. I, like, we, yes, we all do. And second of all, oh, and Kim already pointed it out for me. If you're already questioning if you're a narcissist, you're you don't. 99 right. not one. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Narcissists don't think they're not. Narcissists think they're above the label of a narcissist, right? Like narcissist to them is like beneath them almost, which is the funny yeah. part about it. But um, if you pick anything funny from this, but but yeah, so that's that's they don't ever get therapy. Which so now in a trauma bonding situation, you can see how the other person, the person that's being abused their head spinning because they know that the behavior they're seeing is wrong yet at the same time they feel solely responsible for it they feel it's their fault and they feel the only way they can fix it is their fault and all they're doing is just craving that 
that love bombing stage again, which, yeah, will come back, mm -hmm. but not for the reasons that you think. It's not coming back because they realize they've been an asshole and they want to be with you. It's coming back because they need to get you back in line to get you to trust them again, to get, them, to get you to Train's gotta move in the, in believe their direction. them again. And yeah. then once they get you back into a position where you trust them again, you let down your guard, then boom, the devaluation starts all over again. Um, and every time that happens, every time you depend on, on a narcissistic person to make you feel as if you're making them happy, it, it makes that bond so much stronger every single mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like one of the, or in somebody, yeah, yeah, we want to make sure I got everybody's uh, uh, name correct here. But um, uh, the eWell blog, off of that question, was or that answer was saying like well how do you how does one let's say you successfully get out of a narcissistic relationship which is already hard in itself mm -hmm. um chestnut checkers and like where what how do you start chestnut checkers when it comes to narcissists you can't play checkers against it you got to play chess to move around them to get where to where you want to go you know a simple game oh i thought you said chestnut i'm like what's chestnut Chestnuts <laughs> roasting on an open truck. Christmas in July, everybody. Why not? Everything else has been going crazy tonight. Uh, but how does what, once you're once you're once you're past it? We brought up the PTSD part of it. How do you how do you begin to start healing? And really, it's just valuing yourself better, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's the path you got to go back on. Okay. Um. So you absolutely one hundred percent cannot do this without therapy. Cannot. You absolutely 100% cannot do this with a therapist, as well intentioned as they may be, who are not trauma informed, meaning who don't, do not understand or not they don't understand, don't have the experience working with somebody with. It's not just post traumatic stress disorder, it's something called complex PTSD, or you'll see it as like a C PTSD, which is really traumas that continuously occur over a long period of time some are small some are big some are but it's the, the hope it's chronic right it's this chronic culmination of traumatic experiences over time so um it's not a traumatic event it's a culmination and so that's handled very differently than let's say somebody who had not that I'm minimizing it but but somebody who had in it like a 9-11 right and it was a it was an in one event or a car accident, um, the symptoms are very similar, but it's treated very differently because one is an event, the other is a, is a, is a pattern that has been instilled in you and a narrative that has been instilled in you that's not yours. And so basically you have to 100% like totally retrain your brain, not just psychologically, but biologically, neurologically. There's so much that goes into this. It's not just psychological. There, there's so many, there's so many other avenues that you have to address with this, which is why it's important. It, you can't just go into someone's office and just talk about your feelings. It, that like we're past that. That's not, that's not helpful. And, and if, uh, to be honest with you, it's detrimental. And that's when I start to you know, you see my blood start to boil. Um, you do more damage. So um, mm -hmm. it's very multi-layered and you cannot do this alone. You cannot do this with just a supportive family. 
it has nothing to do with your family not being supportive, not loving you, not being there for you, but you absolutely need somebody objective who is trained in this to help you literally like unpack all of these layers and these patterns to figure out where you go from here. So therapy is number one. Support system is huge because when, when you leave, you need, you need somebody to be with. Is even if you just have one really good friend, but you need somebody who is very supportive, very, um, you know, willing to, to just handhold you and just be there for you, not necessarily give you advice. Support? Non-romantic support. Non-romantic support. But yes, and I, actually, let me speak on that too. If you have any interest in dating again in the future, and you have been in a codependent, trauma-bonded relationship, you absolutely, if you do not get therapy, will end up repeating those same exact patterns again in a different relationship, kind of gravitating towards people who look for people who are codependent. You may think they're totally different because they may not present as love bombing initially, or their love bombing may look very different, or the abuse may be different. You may not even see it, but that's the problem. Um, you know, and you could have people around you saying, oh my God, you're in the same exact thing again. What are you doing? And they will genuinely believe that they're not because it doesn't look identical. Well, they're nicer. They're not mean to me. Yes, but they're doing this, this, and this, and they don't see it. That's fine. But you absolutely can't be objective unless you are in therapy for this. So there's support, there's therapy, um, no contact. So that's a big thing, and this is something the therapist would help you with, which is, let, let's say kids aside for a second. No joint assets, nothing, like just, you're not, like just no kids. No contact means you block them on every single social, social media network possible. You block their emails, you block their phone numbers, you don't leave any door open. And if you do, that means the trauma bond is still very much at play. If you can't block them because there's a part of you that doesn't want them to get mad or you think you're overreacting or you miss them, which is okay, we're human, and that's where it gets confusing. You can miss somebody that was abusive. Like, I just want to put that out there. You're not crazy. It's not abnormal. It's actually more common than you think. I'm going to tell you not to feel guilty. I know you will. So feel guilty. And at the same time, know that it's very normal. It's a very normal response. They've made you feel this way for years. Um, so when there's kids involved, that's when it gets a little tricky. And that's where therapy comes into play. The therapist will help you set very strict boundaries if you have to co-parent with a narcissist. There are certain strategies that you would use, which we can talk about another time. But um, how to set boundaries, how to look for red flag Ricky how to know the difference between red flags and genuine interest, um, how to look for when that behavior switches from love bombing to devaluing, and basically if you get in it again, to get out sooner. Because remember, co people that are codependent, that pattern is a lifeline for them. That's all they know. They're familiar with it. So it's very difficult for them to, to stop. Um, they want to, but it's, it's very blinding at times. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what, what you do. Um, yeah, I, yeah. 
I wouldn't date for a very long time after, you know, I tell, I I tell you, I would not date if I were you for a very long time until, Mm. until you figure you out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, male or female, because I've male or female. Yes, absolutely. And if you are, what I I don't know, and you can tell me, because I don't know if this is related to those things, but I've seen people come out of those relationships and hit the bottle crazily hard out of nowhere. Yep. Like it is, and, and I'm not talking about binge drinking. I mean, yeah, picking yeah. up a bottle because your anxiety and depression is so much, you'll drink the whole thing in one scoop. That's right. Kind of forget about that it happened, come to, and yeah. then like, you don't know where you are. Yep. It's, yep. that's scary to me. And if you're doing that and excusing it, get but think about it. That's the same pattern though, right? That's the same pattern as the narcissist. It's this waiting for that dopamine to take all the pain and abuse away and, and just, you know, feel like things are good, which is like the drinking or the drugs, which is very common to block it out, to numb it. And then you come back to it. So that, that intermittent pain, numbness, pain, numbness, like love, pain, all that. It's the same exact pattern. Um, so that's what I'm talking about, about that familiarity. It doesn't have to be a person. It's just that pattern that you're very committed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, and man, like, as an observer, it's scary as shit to see that. Like, oh, my God. It, yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't handle that. And it was, you know, in two separate forms of like in my 20s and my 30s and just being like, man, you know, and then you start to question yourself. Well, am I attracting these type of people? Am I doing, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's true too. And mm-hmm. that's probably for another oh, Are you talking but... about the narcissist? Are you talking about the narcissist drinking? Oh, uh, you... no, uh, no. Oh, no. I'm oh. talking about the PTSD yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, coming yeah. Out yeah. Of yeah. That relationship. Yes. Yeah. And what people um, don't realize is a lot of the, the, the trauma responses that people have, the, the PTSD symptoms, the, you know, um, flashbacks or the, extreme anxiety, the um, hypervigilance, the panicking, the, the, the paranoia, not psychotic paranoia, just pa- constantly fearful for your life, for your safety, that stuff really starts to happen. Um, not that it wasn't happening during the relationship, but after the relationship, that's when that stuff really starts to come out. So I always caution people that getting out of the relationship is huge that is the hardest thing to do once you have left a narcissist i don't care what they do to you from that point on you won and they know it yeah period you left you left them and how dare you leave them so even though they're going to continue to do everything they've always done to you they will never you're never fully out of the grips of a narcissist even if they don't speak to you for 10 years you're not gone you're shelled you're shelved until they are bored. They're not getting the attention they need from their next person that they're with that has been lined up in the wings the whole time. Um, they want sex. They want money. Um, they just feel like fucking with you because they had a bad day at work. It, like you're never fully gone from their orbit. And codependent people may look at that as comforting. Because they look at it as, well, they haven't forgotten about me. Maybe they still care about me. No. Mm-hmm. You're an object. And they will take you off the shelf to play with you to get what they need. Again, whether it's money, sex, attention. They just feel like making you cry for no reason. Or they just feel like making you paranoid. So you sit yep. at your window and wonder if they're coming to your house when, they are, when they're in Florida. You know what I mean? Like, yep. And they're nowhere near Philly. So, so um, you know... It, 
you're never fully in their mind. You're always part of their property. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't matter because what matters is what you choose to do when they come towards you. What do you do? You don't answer the phone. Well, they should be blocked. So they really have no access to you. But whatever they do to you, you don't respond. But that, that whatever they bring this way, you're still going to have those emotions come up for you, the anxiety, the panic, that's still going to come up for you. So I don't want people to think that leaving is the end of this. Mm-hmm. From a psychological standpoint, kind of sometimes the work really just begins when you leave. Um, and so I, I want people to be mindful of that. That is a long process, but the leaving is hands down the hardest part. Oh, yes. And if yeah, you can yeah, do that, you know, you can, you can do this. But the complex, be that, that kind of chronic PTSD, um, that comes after. You know, yes. that, 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 that kind of stuff comes after. And I do want to say, because it's come up in a couple of weeks, and some, some folks in the comments already mentioned it too, like, yeah, uh, you're going to have to, if you're dealing with a narcissist and you're co-parenting, or essentially, I put that in quotes because no one's really co-parenting yeah. at that point. Right. But uh, I, I think it's a little self-defeating to say, ah, well, I'm never going to be out of the grips ever. Like, I can never change that pattern, that PTSD feeling, because I had a child with this person, and... I'm just stuck with their pattern. I got it. Absolutely not. Like, please go back and listen to uh, the boundaries podcast that we were, we were doing a couple of weeks well, ago. Well, you're stuck. Just- you're stuck with whatever they choose to do, but you're not stuck in terms of responding to it. The, one of the biggest mm-hmm. things in trauma bonding when I work with patients is getting them to understand that they have, uh, they have choices in how they respond for a long time in their life, they thought that they only could respond in a certain way, which was probably the easiest way to not get abused more. Mm-hmm. When you're out of the abusive situation, you have so many options on how to respond. So just because, you know, if you think of like a screaming toddler, right? And every time the toddler screams, as the adult, you have a million different things that you could do to deal with that screaming child, right? You could scream back in their face, which I tried the other day, which is actually really funny. <laughs> Mom of the year. Um, they stopped. I mean, they definitely stopped and looked at me like, what is, what is she doing? <laughs> right? Um, or, you know, you can give them what they want, which is probably what a codependent person is used to doing. Um, you can ignore them you can kneel down and calmly speak to them and look at their you know there's different ways you can manage a screaming toddler there's different ways you can manage a narcissist it's just the one that you've always been using has been probably in your eyes the thing that kept you safest from being abused more not realizing that that behavior actually made the you know made the trauma bond even stronger because mm-hmm. they know you're depending on them to not abuse you more so it's very complicated so yes you may be stuck with their antics and their crap but it's not going to feel like you're stuck the longer you work on it you're going to feel like you have so much more separation from them and in fact i have so many people over the years have gotten to a point where they're able to look at their narcissistic partner and laugh at like, I guarantee you they're going to do X, Y, and Z. And like clockwork, they do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, they're able to sit there and say, oh, my God, look, look what they did. That's amazing. Like, you can start to predict their behavior. Once you can predict their behavior, then it becomes objective. And then you can kind of look at it and say, wow, that's really pathetic. When you get to that point, 
I promise you, you don't feel as stuck. You just, yeah. you just don't. You'll just laugh a lot. You'll laugh at it. Yes. When I say laugh at it, I don't mean it minimizes what you went through, but you'll laugh no, at it yeah. in the terms of like the patheticness of, you know, okay, like if you, yeah. on your, they love to ruin holidays, right? Like people in trauma bonded relationships, the narcissist loves to ruin any event that's special for the codependent person. Graduations, birthdays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, vacations, big birthdays, little birthdays, mm -hmm. kids' birthdays, I mean, weddings, you name it, it happens. Mm -hmm. And if you know that going into it, so let's say you're divorced and, or let, you know what, let's not even say marriage. Let's say you were dating somebody for a long time and it was codependent, it was abusive, it was a narcissist, you broke up, you've been doing really well, and then, you know, they know that every Christmas you fly to, you know, Chicago to visit your relatives, and they know that you usually leave on a Thursday before, you know, before the weekend, and they call you Wednesday night telling you they miss you, right? Or they call you Wednesday night and say, they're really sick. They think they need to go to the emergency room. You're the only one that they trust. Or they call you Wednesday and they just tell you that you're, you know, a piece of shit and blah, 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 whatever. But, it's, it's, but if you know something's going to happen and you see them calling or you hear their message and you're like, there they go, you know, and you can kind of <laughs> let, that's what I'm saying. You won't always feel stuck. You can't control what they do, but you won't always feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, yeah, in, uh, a great question to kind of end on here, too, from Crystal. Uh, what do you do when you have a narcissistic family member and the rest of your family gets mad when you try to create boundaries? And, man, I yes. mean, that's uh, from my personal experience. Uh, my first therapist said the broken record technique until until it doesn't work anymore. Uh, Dr. Right. Z, I don't know how you feel about that. So usually the person who sets the boundaries with a narcissistic person in a family dynamic is viewed as the black sheep right? They're viewed as the outcast. They're viewed as um, the, the problem child, right? Um, so what I would do in those situations is um, continue setting those boundaries. And if people get mad at your boundaries, you have to ask yourself, why, why the hell would people not involved in this be mad at me setting boundaries? Logically, it to take you know take a, take a step back. It doesn't make any sense, right? Why are other people getting mad at boundaries I set with this person over here? But here's why: because when you're in a family dynamics, and let's say, you know, you play this role, and mom plays this role, dad plays this role, um, um, si siblings play this role, and plays this role, and let's say mom's the narcissist, and Narcissists use everyone in their family. They set everybody up like chestnuts, right? Set everybody up like they're about to play a game of chestnuts. I'm going to use that from now on because I think it's perfect. <laughs> so they're... <laughs> yeah. And... Every... <laughs> and so they're, they're... everybody has a purpose. And so when you shift gears, if you set a boundary with mom narcissist, right? Mm -hmm. And mom narcissists can no longer get what they need from you. Guess who's going to get the shit end of it now? Mm. Sister, right? Or maybe dad. So now mm. dad starts to get mom's wrath because you're not getting any more, right? And then dad gets all frazzled and takes it on sister. So just by setting a boundary, it's not just to mom. You just threw off the dynamic of the entire system. 
So of course nobody wants you to set boundaries because you just throw everybody off. And they're not saying like, our equilibrium is off. We need to get back to center because we don't like this chaos. Um, they're going to try to push you back into your original positioning to, to get that original flow back by saying you're being selfish. You're being obnoxious. Well, you know, all you care about is yourself. You're so rude. You ruin everything. You're crazy. You need therapy. All of these things, you're selfish, whatever, to get you back to your original positioning. So if you find that you get that pushback, um, it's because your boundary is working. Exactly. And so, yeah, like pushback is probably the best sound in the world. You know, like if you're yes. trying to set that boundary and like this is this is uh, one of those things that like, I don't know, maybe people don't like to say out loud. But man, if you have narcissistic family members, I see Lynn Marie kind of chiming in about her situation with her family. And all, like if you're dating a narcissist, someone in their family is definitely also a narcissist. So like whether that's the father, the mother, that dynamic's already built in. So not to, necessarily uh, though, Marie, not always. Oh, not necessarily. Okay. Not always. A lot of the time, yes. But you also could have somebody that's like, um, treats you like the golden child. Like you can do no wrong. You there's no mm -hmm. consequences for your actions. So you were raised to think that nothing you did had you know you, you could just do whatever you want. Um, mm -hmm. You could have somebody that was very overly critical of you had extremely high expectations nothing you ever did was good enough nothing you ever did was right maybe they're not a narcissist um, but that dynamic was in play usually it's a narcissist yes but but it, definitely not all the time um so yeah yes it, oh, it's, it, it, to lynn marie's uh, point uh father grandfather is so in that exact case yeah. she was saying like there's all these like man, then they're defending the ex because it's like, yeah, Correct. exactly. Because you have a house full of narcissists that are either used to the pattern of pleasing them. So they're all going to do that to yes. disrupt whatever they yes. got to do with that home. So like, yeah, of course they're going to sound like they're me. Never gonna... hey. <laughs> well, it's, I've learned so much. That's what I'm saying. And you just, once, once you hear Dr. Z and you're like, Oh yeah, that's what that was. And that's <laughs> what this was. And I'm just like, Oh yeah. You start to see all the different patterns. Like I'm a, yeah. In, in my life right now, I think I've even said this out loud. I'm obsessed with pattern behavior. Yes, me too. Everyone. Love it. Everyone. It's fascinating. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it is very fascinating. And you mm -hmm. start to, what, like we said, we learn that we're way more connected inherently than, yep. than what we realize. Two, we've all gone through the same shit. We didn't even realize it. Three, we're all thinking the same things and not doing the same thing. Correct. The action and the response are never, never, ever there. So that's yep. why we talk on Sunday yep. nights. And it's not to say that Dr. Z is perfect at it and she's the one that preaches it all, all the single time. And certainly not me because I'm you. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. Oh, know, my God, please. I don't know what question. I'm doing half the time. <laughs> oh, and look at us. We started this thing three times. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, no. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> Um, yeah, but, 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 but regardless of all that, like, I think the community has done such an outstanding job of just being here on Sunday nights. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you for supporting Dr. Z and me. Of course, saw some enterprise athletes sneak in here too. We'll mention them as, as the weeks go on. Appreciate them checking it out tonight. Um, the goal is to blend all of our audiences together to make us really feel like this shit is normal and it is normal. Everything we're talking about happens in everyday life and no one just points it out and says, actually, this is something you should be taking care of, getting away from, so on and so on and so on. Dr. Z, I can't thank you enough for spending your time every Sunday night with us too. Thank, thank you. you. We will figure, and we we'll will figure you. out our tech glitches, promise. 
You know what it is? Yeah, I've enjoyed this version so much. I think I'd like to take you out to the gazebo in our in our little office here and just kind of like we can peruse around. I can show you our wonderful fridge and things like that. It'll be, you know, we can do tours. I, I like this. I'll go sit in a canoe or whatever. I really like the concept of actually not being in a studio. This this what the bloopers helped us tonight, I think. Yeah, I, I think, really like I this. think we grew from our from our mistakes. Yes, absolutely. And we shall uh, continue to grow. Yes. And hopefully all of our mistakes yes. will be and less and less. Let me just end are. on this too, really quickly. Um, as far as the power differential thing and, and you know, and, and mm. that feeling of being with a narcissist, I know this is hard to understand and this won't necessarily help you right now, but for those of you who are in these relationships struggling, understand that it may seem like you are completely out of control that you are being controlled and manipulated and, and to some extent you are but you also keep in the back of your mind somewhere even though it may not help right now that you actually are very much in control and in charge because it's the narcissist that can't function without you because you are what they need to feel as if they exist at all so mm -hmm. keep that in your mind. And I know, like I said, it's not going to help you walk out that door. But if, if you can kind of keep that in the back of your mind that you are way more in control than they are, even though it may not feel like that at all. Um, you may not believe that yet, but at some point you'll, you will. Uh, uh, excellent note to end on there. And to everyone asking what's the next sub subject, when are we on next? Every so, well, around 8 o'clock <laughs> on Sunday nights, but 8 o'clock Sunday nights. We're always here. We're going to be talking about it. And then we usually get together. Uh, you, this is where you come in. Make sure you're following Dr. Z underscore psychologist on Instagram. If you're not following along on her stories, you can be involved in, you know, what we are going to talk yeah. about. On, I'll on always ask what people want to hear about. And kind of trauma bonding was the one that came up so much. So that's why yeah. we tackled that. And I thought it was, I thought it was a great, a great topic. It's something I didn't know a lot about and, uh, this is this is what we like to do on Sunday nights. So thanks for tuning in. That is Dr. Z. I am JB. This is it's me, Dr. Z with JB every Sunday night. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Go rate, review, subscribe. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>